Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So this is uh, number four, I think, in our series as we go through our new book, Agile Conversations. So we're up to chapter three, having done the introduction in chapters one and two. Mm -hmm. And that's all about trust. And one of the things we were having a challenge about was uh, finding something new to say about trust because we've said <laughs> so much about it. Um, there are three different podcast episodes, which we'll link in the show notes. I have a video up on my website just, uh, describing one of the techniques. Uh, the Agile principles cover it. Um, you know, there's all kinds of places where uh, we've talked about trust or people have talked about it. I, I think we really have quite a different take on it, and I think it's interesting. But one of the things that's tricky and interesting is that now people are reading the book and they're reading the words we wrote and we, we can't you know just go say this is what we meant. So uh, it's interesting to hear what their reactions are, how they take what we said in different ways and so on. And, and Jeffrey, you had one really good example. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this past week, uh, thanks to a, a weekly newsletter, the Software Testing Weekly uh, newsletter, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes to that. Uh, they uh, told us about a blog post from Christine Casas. I hope I had saying that correctly. Uh, Christine, you can let us know if we got that wrong. And in uh, she had re read our book and uh, wrote up her review on our blog post. And she also had several um, sort of miniature responses going through on, on different topics that she read. And it was quite interesting to read through those. And um, there's one in particular I thought it was worth uh, talking about because it brought up a, an interesting element is uh, on the ladder of inference. And in particular, uh, scroll on one of your favorite techniques. In fact, it's the topic of your, your video and also one we've done a podcast on before, which is test-driven development for people. Mm -hmm. And uh, Christine had an interesting point. She, she's trying to take the analogy as literally as possible and was comparing that. And, and she, she made the, the correct observation that in uh, TDD and software, you'll often start by writing a test when you have no code at all. And you are um, writing out, you're, you're saying, this is the, what it should be. You're, you're essentially creating the world and you're making an assertion about the way the world should be. And then if you, when you, you of course will have a failing test because you have written the code, um, by the way, sometimes this doesn't happen. <laughs> it's, it's, this is why you always run the test first, because sometimes you'll write the test and run it and be green. But in the normal case, you, you go and make this assertion about the world and it's, that's not true. And when it's read, your job is now to change the world. <laughs> you, 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 you make the world different so that your assertion was correct. And that's not exactly the way things work in a conversation. When we go and talk to someone and we get a different answer, our, our goal that we're not saying is you're going to go change the world and make that person agree with you. Or, or is that what we mean? It, well, it, <laughs> if anybody knows how to do that, I think they would be very, very uh, successful. Um, yeah. maybe, maybe whether or not they should be, I don't know. But uh, let us know if you think you have a way to change the world so it matches your internal reality. The, the thing that happens to me all the time is I keep tripping over reality and hurting my foot. So um, right. uh, the, the thing that's much more common is that I... I experience reality is very different to what I expected. And that was a very interesting point of view and an interesting way to understand what we wrote. I remember coming up with the idea that this existing notion, the ladder of inference, this idea that you start with something that you can see or hear, a, a observable piece of data, and then uh, what's important about that and what meaning it has for you, what assumptions you get from that, what conclusions you draw, what beliefs you draw, and then what actions you take. I think I even remembered all the rungs. That's amazing. So you, you go through these slow steps, and we take readers through that, and we give lots of examples for, for how you go through all those steps. And uh, as you go through those steps, 
the crucial thing for me as I practiced this over and over again was how similar the feeling was, how similar the sense of security was that I had as I was talking to you, say, Jeffrey, we had a conversation just before starting this podcast, and uh, I started with something I was observing, and that helped me feel really confident about mentioning, hey, Jeffrey, I noticed this thing. Then you said, oh, yeah, well, this is what it's about. And that helped me enormously, and I felt secure in the same way as when you're doing test-driven development. You say, well, I'm not real sure what the world is like. I'm not sure whether this test will pass or not. I know my expectation is it'll fail, so then I can write some code. But I'm going to know in a few seconds whether or not the world is as I think it is. And I'm taking small steps, so I have this iterative experience. And that's exactly what you can get in a conversation. People often tell me as they're uh, describing a conversation they're dreading, and they're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to have this conversation. This is going to be terrible. One of the things they often cite is the person will blow up at me. I'll discover that I had the wrong information all along. It'll be embarrassing. It'll be threatening. They think of all these bad things that'll happen, most of which involve tripping over reality. Mm. And the great thing about using a technique like TDD for people or the ladder of inference is it lets you learn in very small increments with a lot of confidence at every stage and with small consequence for getting a little bit wrong. And so that's what we really meant, or at least that's what I meant. When I said, gosh, when I explain this to people, especially software developers and testers like uh, Christine, I should be talking about test-driven development because that's the feeling you get. Right. So it's, for you, it's that, that, that the knowing that you can take small steps and then building confidence incrementally. So you're mm -hmm. sort of gaining knowledge that you can be certain of. Uh, that's really interesting. Uh, I, I like that analogy. And thinking about it, uh, I had that same kind of feeling when I was practicing TD when I wrote code as a part of my daily work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember one of the elements, though, and it uh, com comparing to Christine's comments in the blog, I thought, you know, there's times when I, I I valued that feeling from TDD so much that I took it into other areas. And in particular, I remember using a TDD approach to learn an API. And so, and I would say it was quote unquote TDD approach, even though it didn't necessarily have the um, uh, elements uh, that uh, Christine described. It, it wasn't how I would do it normally because I didn't. I didn't often know exactly how the API worked, and this is a, a sort of an exploratory approach. I, I'm going to go in here and learn. Um, I have I have some guesses I'm going to make, but really, I, my goal is to to, to learn, and, and I'm not confident about uh, how things are going to proceed or how the world should be. Um, I do have an idea where I want to end up, but it's it's much more vague in this kind of world. I'm I'm just it is very much more, in a sense, uh, I, the other thing that came to mind is like exploratory testing, uh, which is uh, something where I think the emphasis is much more on on learning than than pure execution. And you don't work to a script or execute a, a, a very fixed set of steps. You're exploring and testing and in small increments. You say, oh, I wonder what happens if I put in a negative number. How about a negative big number? How about if I put the largest <laughs> negative number? Oh, wait, now I got a crash. Okay. And you, you didn't set out in the beginning to test negative numbers. You just thought, oh, that would be interesting. Let me try that. That's, that's, that's right. The, the notion of exploratory testing. And that's much closer to the experience that uh, maybe we should have called it exploratory testing for people. I'm not sure. <laughs> that's interesting as an alternative. Um, it's been worth thinking about. One, one thing I do like about that uh, idea is I, I remember talking to Michael Bolton and one of the elements that he would, we, you know, would talk a lot frequently and agree about on testing is that uh, testing is a human activity. And um, what we often call an automated test really should be called an automated check. <laughs> and um, 
and and what we are doing in these conversations is i think much more uh human we're we're opening ourselves up uh it's not simply a, a mechanical check of i know how the world is at least that's that's the mindset we should have and and i think that is it actually brings us to one of the points that uh, looking back, we haven't talked about as much in the podcast, but we and we do mention in the book, which is this idea of vulnerability, and the link between vulnerability and uh, uh, trust. And one of the things that we say is that to to build trust, you need to be vulnerable. And there's an element here, even in this in these very small steps that we're taking, we we are being a bit vulnerable because we're we are making. Uh, uh, assertions about how we see the world that the other person might not agree with that frequently. And in fact, very often uh, we expect that they're not going to agree with. We're just not sure where. <laughs> exactly. And some of the best testers, this just struck me as you were saying that, some of the best testers I've ever known have been particularly ego-free and vulnerable-friendly. And they have to be that because they have to uh, simultaneously inhabit the world where the code is supposed to do something and where it could not do that thing. And so they have to be able to go to the world where it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, and they have to be creative and open to that. If you're really confident, this is why tester, uh, developers often are poor testers of their own code, because they know what it's supposed to do. Well, of course you're not going to put a negative number in. Why would you do that? I remember one of my very best testers in the early days in FinTech, would uh, she, she came along and literally she put in a negative number for how many shares to buy. And we all said, you can't buy a negative number of shares. What are you talking about? That's, that's nonsensical. And she said, well, you can short short, you can short sell. And look, it crashes if you do it, so you better not do it. <laughs> so, um, we had all been very confident that um, all you could do was put in positive numbers, and no one would ever try putting in a negative one. We found out we were wrong. That was um, uh, we, It required greater vulnerability from her. She outdid us in, in vulnerability because we were confident and, um, and not willing to be vulnerable and, and say we, we could have been wrong. Our, our conception of the reality could have been incorrect. Yes, that's, that's a really, really good point. And I think it is, you're right, this is um, one of the things that uh, I know for myself and, and others in development often struggle with, um, with testing our own code because we are attached to our conception of what it does, even if that's not what it actually does, or, or, or we're so attached to what we our perception of reality that we're not really testing it. We're uh, we're, we're confirming uh, uh, rather than than exploring uh, what it really does. But it's ten times worse when it's a person and it's your own beliefs rather than a computer executing. You can always say, "Oh well, I just didn't know that negative numbers would have that effect," but when it's, um, well, I believed that uh, you guys were all behind me and, and backing my um, desire to deliver this feature next week, and I suddenly discover I was wrong. That's very threatening, even yeah. more so. So it's much easier to be much more attached. So um, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure we're telling listeners that, uh, that they're going to have fun doing test-driven development for people. <laughs> no, we're not. And I think in general, being uh, uh, building a sense of trust and this idea of, of being vulnerable is uh, is I think something that's a bit a bit threatening um, and uh, hard for people to do because our natural mode is to try to confirm what we believe and this is kind of harkens back to the cognitive biases that we talked about uh, last time. Our cognitive biases kind of work for us to, to be seeking confirmation, um, but it, it, our view is that uh, if you want to learn what this really is is detecting and correcting error and 
uh, that means being open to the idea that um, that I'm I'm mistaken. And uh, you and I were talking about this about whether knowing this uh, makes it easier. Um, and uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, like you, you said something which is um, you, you said like it's not it's not it doesn't get any. Uh, uh, more fun. <laughs> no, it doesn't get easier. It's just like people who perform a lot say they get stage fright every time. They just have developed a set of things that they can do that actually let them get on the stage. Whereas somebody who has severe stage fright will just never get on the stage. In the same way, uh, things like um, the the techniques we uh, describe in the book and the exercises and so on, and, and uh, fundamental elements of, of being vulnerable and predictable, those help you kind of brace yourself for that learning experience. But the learning experience doesn't get any better. You don't think, <laughs> wow, I was wrong, and I'm so happy about being wrong. I, I'm, I'm enjoying this experience of being wrong. You think, oh, here I go again. I'm wrong. Okay, yeah. well, I kind of knew that was coming. <laughs> and that's why I went into this, but it still does kind of hurt. Yeah, and I, I really like that idea because it's you're still going to have that hashtag learning this horrible experience. But mm-hmm. you've made you've made a decision. You've you, you've said, well, this is going to be. Uh, I I value um, uh, being having a more accurate view of the world more than I do the the misplaced confidence and just the the, the lovely feeling of quote unquote knowing that I'm right, mm-hmm. and um, therefore. Uh, I'm I'm open to this. Now it's interesting as we talk about this sort of sense of of being confident in our uh, sense of being right. I think it's useful to go back to this idea of how that relates to trust, um, which is it's going to be very hard for people to trust you if your uh, world if your worldview is self sealed and their differences of opinion never make it into you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not necessarily that you have to agree with them, yes. but to have heard them and to have incorporated their worldview and to say, well, mine differs in these ways and it doesn't differ in these ways and I learned something new. This is a, a way that I've changed my view. All of that creates aligned stories, which we go into in more depth in the book, where um, the, the belief that you have and the belief that the person has about how the, uh, the world works are more closely aligned. Not matching. They don't have to be the same but they have to start from some of the same assumptions and principles and ideas. And they, each of you has to have heard the other's point of view. I, I think that's the, and that's one of the important ones we talk about. And this is this idea of um, being predictable to earn trust. And that um, this hearing of the person's stories and sharing our story, if we've laid out, this is our story, this is how we see the world. And therefore I'm going to behave in this way. When you behave that way, as you said, people may not agree with it. They may, they may think, oh, well, that's not how I would have done it, but they can they can say, well, I, I trust that squirrel will behave this way because he's explained to me what he's seen in the past. He's explained his assumptions and his motivations and that this is how his, he responds in this scenario. Okay, and he is now acting that way. Great, that, and that level of predictability uh, uh, starts to build trust. Indeed, whether or not you agree with the action, you might say, boy, that squirrel, he's nuts. He's doing this crazy thing. (laughs) I don't think that's the right thing to do, but man, uh, at least I know what's coming. I can uh, adjust my behavior to it. I can trust him to do that every time. (laughs) When I come and he's going to ask me, so what did you see? (laughs) You know, I saw this. What did, what did you see? And that's, that's very helpful. Okay.
Well, uh, we really appreciated Christine's response on her blog. Uh, we'd love to hear from her and from other listeners who have been reading the trust chapter or who have listened to us and are having a different experience of trust and uh, who are curious about test-driven development for people or disagree with us or think that uh, we, we're really uh, off uh, on the wrong foot. That would be uh, a learning opportunity for us. So this is an example of inviting some learning. So do get in touch with us. And I'd love to hear how people feel about this, about trust and the sense of security and the, mm. the, this process that you go through of uh, making yourself vulnerable, which is losing a bit of security, but also then gaining it as a result as you, as you build trust with people. Does that resonate with people? I'd like to hear about that. Absolutely. So you'd find us on Twitter and email and other things like that. There's links on the in the show notes. Basically, you go to conversationaltransformation.com, and that's where you find all kinds of stuff about us. One of the things you'll find there pretty soon is that um, I, at least, I'm not sure if Jeffrey's going to have time to join me, I'm going to try doing some live interaction with listeners. So um, we might be doing some ladder of inference, test-driven development for people practicing. We'll be looking at conversational analyses, actually doing some of this stuff live. So look out on LinkedIn. You can look at uh, Douglas Squirrel on LinkedIn uh, and on conversationaltransformation.com. If you join our newsletter, I'm sure we'll be announcing it there. That should be coming in the next couple of weeks as we set up some of these more live interactions to practice some of this stuff in public. So watch out for that. And of course, we also like it when you listen to us, not quite live, but uh, every week. So you can do that by subscribing to the podcast in whatever format you use. And we'll be back here every Wednesday for you, as we always are. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Carl.